Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, All right, folks. There's a lot to get to here. Let me, let me uh, deal with a few issues quickly, and then I want to get into something heavy with you. May I do that? I think I shall. I did a little bit of research. I mean, tiny little bit. Related to drug infestation. Remember that word infested is inherently racist. We've been told now for a week. I said, I kind of remember the president mentioning this with respect to the opioid crisis in New Hampshire. So first I see New Hampshire's 94% white, 1.1% black, 2.2% Asian, and too few Hispanics to even give that racial group a percentage so it's 94 percent white 1.1 percent black and i was right it was in the washington compost by christopher ingram <laughs> excuse me christopher ingram august 3 2017 now if i can find this why can't the media with its enormous research budgets and so forth because they don't want to August 3, 2017, two years ago. Quote, I won in New Hampshire because New Hampshire is a drug-infested den. Quote, unquote, President Trump told Mexican President Enrique Pinanito in a phone call in January. The remark came in the course of an exchange in which Trump blamed drug lords in Mexico for sending drugs to places like New Hampshire. We're becoming a drug-addicted nation and most of the drugs are coming from Mexico or certainly from the southern border, Trump added. So Trump called New Hampshire a drug-infested den, a state that is 94% white. Now that I've mentioned this, it'll spread throughout the Internet, it'll spread throughout cable, it'll spread throughout talk radio, and at some point it'll reach the president's desk. Just like the other day, when Mr. Producer found the 1999 video of Elijah Cummings talking about drug infestation in his own community. Remember that, Mr. Producer? This morning, I left my community of Baltimore, a drug-infested area. Okay. Now, you've heard that all day, I take it. Well, you heard it here first. So you have Elijah Cummings using drug-infested, excuse me, You have the president applying it to a 94% white state that New Hampshire is a drug-infested den. All this talk about racism has been a lie. And Jake Tapper and Don Lemon and the others 
who speak to it as a fact when they're asking questions during a nationally televised presidential debate have committed malpractice as they push their unconscionable, hard-left agenda and try and brainwash the American people. Now, unfortunately, I watched most of that debate last night. I was glad they were chewing up each other. I was glad they were chewing up Obama. But I have to tell you something, folks. There's a very, very serious problem here. Partly among the Republicans, but thoroughly among the Democrats. What they're calling for, what they're supporting, with the media's help, would be rejected completely by the Founding Fathers. Now, what's going on here? Health care for all, health care for illegal aliens, decriminalize the border, guarantee minimum income, guarantee job. We are totally unmoored from limited government in our constitutional system. This is exactly why I'm a supporter of Convention of States in Article 5. What is this ideology? Well, I'm proud to say I told you about this in 2012 in another book called Ameritopia. These books fit together like puzzle pieces. I actually have a a strategy in the writing of books. One fits with the other. Now, what is this Ameritopia? What is utopianism? And tell me if this sounds about right. Utopianism substitutes glorious predictions and unachievable promises for knowledge, science, and reason, while laying claim to them all. Yet there's nothing new in deception disguised as hope, and nothing original in abstraction framed as progress. A heavenly society is said to be within reach if only the individual surrenders more of his liberty and his being for that general good, meaning the good as prescribed by the state. Through persuasion, deceit, and coercion, the individual must be stripped of his identity and subordinated to the state. He must abandon his own ambitions for the ambitions of the state. He must become reliant on and fearful of the state. You heard this last night and the night before. Especially threatening, therefore, are the industrious, independent, and successful For they demonstrate what's actually possible under current societal conditions. Achievement, happiness, and fulfillment. Thereby contradicting and endangering the utopian campaign against what was or is. They must either be co-opted and turned into useful contributors to or advocates for the state or neutralized through sabotage or other means. In fact, the individual's contribution to society must be downplayed dismissed or denounced unless the contribution is directed by the state and involves self-sacrifice for the utopian cause. This is why they trash everything private. The private sector. Anything and anyone who comes out of the private sector is said to be a special interest. No. They challenge this authoritarianism, utopianism, 
Utopianism also attempts to shape and dominate the individual. Listen carefully. By doing two things at once, it strips the individual of his uniqueness, making him indistinguishable from the multitudes that form what is commonly referred to as the masses. But it simultaneously assigns him a group identity based on race, ethnicity, age, gender, income, etc., to highlight differences within the masses. It then exacerbates old rivalries and disputes, or it incites new ones. This way it can speak to the well-being of the people, quote-unquote, as a whole, while dividing them against themselves, thereby stampeding them in one direction or another as necessary to collapse the existing society or rule over the new one. Mr. Producer, does that not define what we're going through right now? Now, where utopianism is advanced through gradualism rather than revolution, albeit steady and persistent, as in democratic societies like ours, it can deceive and disarm an unsuspecting population, which is largely content and passive. It is sold as reforming and improving the existing society's imperfections and weaknesses without imperiling its basic nature. And under these conditions, it is mostly ignored, dismissed, or tolerated by much of the citizenry and celebrated by some. So transformation is deemed innocuous, well-intentioned, and perhaps constructive, but not a dangerous trespass on fundamental liberties. Utopianism also finds a receptive audience among the societies disenchanted, disaffected, dissatisfied and maladjusted who are unwilling or unable to assume responsibility for their own real or perceived conditions but instead blame their surroundings on the system and on others and they are lured by the false hopes and promises of utopian transformation and the criticisms of the existing society to which their connection is tentative or non-existent Improving the malcontent's lot becomes linked to the utopian cause and disparaging and diminishing the successful and the accomplished becomes an essential tactic. No one should be better than anyone else, regardless of the merits or value of his contributions. So by exploiting human frailties and frustrations, jealousies and inequities, a sense of meaning and self-worth is created in the malcontents, otherwise unhappy and directionless life. Simply put, equality and misery, that is, equality of result or conformity, is advanced as a just, fair, and virtuous undertaking. Liberty, therefore, is inherently immoral, except when it avails equality. My goodness, it's been seven years since I wrote this. It's a heavy book, I understand, but you're witnessing this right now in your own country, in the Democrat Party debates and the media reporting. Equality, in this sense, is a form of radical egalitarianism that has long been the subject of grave concern by advocates of liberty. Equality is understood by the American founders is the natural right of every individual to live freely under self-government, 
to acquire and retain the property he creates through his own labor and to be treated impartially before a just law. And equality should not be confused with perfection, for man is also imperfect, making his application of equality, even in the most just society, imperfect. Otherwise, inequality, inequality is the natural state of man in the sense that each individual is born unique in all his human characteristics. Therefore, equality and inequality, properly comprehended, are both engines of liberty. But equality can be more transparent at surface level than liberty. It is positive as a far-off concept of human perfectibility, but is also delivered in bits and pieces, or at least appears to be in daily life. It usually takes the form of so-called material rights. You have a right to health care, you see, delivered to the individual by the state. Equality is also disguised, disguised as or confused with popular sovereignty. That is, the conflation of the people's will with egalitarian campaigns such as social justice, environmental justice, immigrants' rights, workers' rights, etc. So in essence, then, true democracy cannot be achieved unless society is reorganized around the disparate and endless demands of disparate and endless claimants. In due course, such a society becomes chaotic and balkanized as it dissolves and crises build, and the stage is set for escalating coercion or repression. I'll have more when I return. Mark Lovin. Since its founding in 1844, Hillsdale College has provided students with sound learning of the kind essential to preserving our civil and religious liberty. Now, I want to tell you about Imprimus, the free monthly speech digest of Hillsdale College. Imprimus is dedicated to educating citizens and promoting civil and religious liberty by covering important cultural, economic, political, and educational issues. First published in 1972, Imprimus is one of America's most widely read publications in support of liberty, with more subscribers, 3.9 million, than the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And recent Imprimus publications have addressed issues like free speech, the regulation of big tech, mental illness, and the American medical insurance system. And because America's founding principles are so important, Hillsdale offers Imprimus absolutely free of charge to anyone who requests it. That's right. You can subscribe to Imprimus for free. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit imprimus.hillsdale.edu for your free subscription. That's Imprimus, I-M-P-R-I-M-I-S dot Hillsdale dot E-D-U. Welcome to Hillsdale. Let's do a little bit more of this because it provides a philosophical context for what you've been hearing in these debates and elsewhere. In utopia ruled by masterminds, that's what you saw on the stage last night, is both necessary and necessarily primitive, for it excludes so much that is known to man and about man. The mastermind is driven by his own boundless conceit and delusional aspirations, which he self-identifies as a noble calling. He alone is uniquely qualified to carry out this mission. 
See, this governor from Washington State, he's a real head case. He is in his own mind a savior of mankind. If only man will bend to his will. Such can be the addiction of power. It can be an irrationally egoistic and absurdly frivolous passion that engulfs even sensible people. In this, the mastermind suffers from a psychosis of sorts and endeavors to substitute his own ambitions for the individual ambitions of millions of people. The mastermind is served by an enthusiastic intelligentsia, or experts, so-called, professionally engaged in developing and spreading utopian fantasies. Although there are conspicuous exceptions, longtime Harvard professor and political theoretician Harvey Mansfield explained that modern intellectuals have monumental impatience with human complexity and imperfection. They believe that politics is a temporary necessity till the rational solution is put in place. Now, of course, the rational solutions are not rational at all. While intellectuals are obviously smart, they're not smart enough to have conquered the social sciences and use them to rejigger society. They are posers to knowledge they do not and cannot possess. They do not and cannot possess. We the people, for we the people, transforming society becomes a struggle between the utopia and self-determination and self-preservation, since the individual must acquiesce to centralized decision-making. Apart from brute force, the mastermind has in his arsenal a weapon that provides him with a predominant advantage, the law. The law. Centralizing and consolidating authority is required to replace dispersed decision-making with a command and control structure, the purpose of which is to coerce behavior in pursuit of a fantasy, a dogmatic cause, a false religion, etc. That's not to say that knowledge and information from outside the central authority go without notice, but instead it is collected in a self-serving, haphazard, and incomplete way to tinker and adjust to torment and control, but never as a means to fundamentally challenge assumptions, reconsider policies, or disprove the utopian ends. How could it, since utopianism rejects rationality and empiricism from the outset? It repudiates experience. It's said to be new, different, better, and bigger. Does this not give the philosophical context for the radicalized, Democrat Party and their candidates that you've heard for two nights in a row now. They're pushing a utopian fantasy that will destroy this nation and turn it into a very dark and bleak country. I'll be right back. You know, our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what's beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions, locked in the grip of political correctness. They no longer allow free and open discourse, rejecting the idea of objective truth. They peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. Now, as Hillsdale celebrates its 175th year, 
It remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. And let me add, I think so much of Hillsdale College. I donated an original copy of a compilation of the Federalist Papers, which sit today as I speak at the Kirby Center. Hillsdale College, America's College. Mark Levin, America's passionately cerebral voice. Talk with that voice now, 877-381-3811. So we're discussing philosophy to some extent in the context of these Democrat proposals and candidates and debates in the media, at least my philosophy, as it applies to what's taking place in this society. So to understand it better. And I... Some people think, believe I'm taking a risk, a ratings risk when I do this. And yet I know, as a matter of fact, that's not true with you and my audience. You're the smartest audience in all of audiences. And that's the way I treat you, with respect. And so just to finish this piece of it up, these masterminds, you saw them on the stage, the would-be masterminds. They're in the media. The mastermind relies on uniform standards born of insufficient knowledge and information. Health care for all, Medicare for all, which are crafted from their own predilections, values, stereotypes, experiences, idiosyncrasies, desires, prejudice, and of course, fantasy. The imposition of these standards may in the short term benefit some or perhaps many, but over time, the misery and corrosiveness from their full effects spread through the whole of society. And although the mastermind's incompetence and vision plague the society, responsibility must be diverted elsewhere, to those assigned to carry them out, or to the people's lack of sacrifice, or to the enemies of the state who have conspired, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, the oil companies. They've conspired to thwart the utopian cause. For the mastermind is inextricably linked to the fantasy. If he's fallible, then who is to usher in paradise? If his judgment and wisdom are in doubt, then the entire venture might invite scrutiny. This leads to grander and bolder social experiments, requiring further coercion. What went before is said to have been piecemeal, and therefore inadequate. The steps necessary to achieve true utopianism, they tell us, have yet to be tried, this is so right on when you listen to that debate last night. Utopianism is incompatible with constitutionalism. Utopianism requires power to be concentrated in a central authority with maximum latitude to transform and control. Oppositely, a construction, a constitution establishes parameters that define the form and the limits of government. For the mastermind, where the Constitution is believed useful to utopian ends, it will be invoked 
or it is not, under the pretense of legitimate differences of interpretation, it will be abandoned outright or remade through various doctrinal schemes and administrative evasions. For the mastermind, the Constitution's words are as undeserving of respect as the rest of our history. They will be used to muddle and disarrange, not inform and clarify. And the Constitution's authors, ratifiers, and present-day proponents will be dismissed as throwbacks. To follow them will be to renounce modernity and progress. And yet to follow the mastermind is to renounce the American founding and America's heritage. And I want to remind you, I want to remind you what your Declaration of Independence says and why it's never brought up in these debates, not even a little. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them one with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments, are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This is so crucial, so fundamental. goes to the heart and soul of what this society is to be. The heart and soul. Now what happens on the left is they, of course, degrade our founders, besmirch them, smear them, in order to unmoor us from our history in order to give justification to their plans on society. And among other things, they use slavery. That these were slaveholders. Why should we listen to them? They wave around the Constitution when they choose to. They quote from the Declaration when they choose to but they believe in neither. The great emancipator was not Barack Obama. It's not Bernie Sanders. It was Abraham Lincoln. And during his 1858 campaign for the U.S. Senate in Illinois, he explained that in the founders' enlightened belief, I quote, Nothing stamped with the divine image and likeness was sent into the world to be trotted on and degraded and imbruted by its fellows. They grasped not only the whole race, the whole race of man then living, but they reached forward and seized upon the farthest posterity. They erected a beacon to guide their children and their children's children and the countless myriads who should inhabit the earth in other ages. Wise statesmen as they were, They knew the tendency of prosperity to breed tyrants. And so they established these great self-evident truths. That when in the distant future some man, some faction, some interest should set up the doctrine that none but rich men or none but white men 
were entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Their posterity might look up again to the Declaration of Independence and take courage to renew the battle which their fathers began so that truth and justice and mercy and all the humane and Christian virtues might not be extinguished from the land so that no man would hereafter dare to limit and circumscribe the great principles on which the Temple of Liberty was being built. Genius. Lincoln is answering. Every one of these radical progressives who attacks the founders. He's saying these men put in place the Declaration of Independence. They didn't have to put the Declaration of Independence in place. Those words I just read to you from Lincoln. He's citing the Declaration of Independence. Some of those men were slaveholders, and yet they still voted and put their lives on the line to declare their independence and the reasons for their independence. And what Lincoln is saying is they didn't have to, but they did. They didn't have to, but they did. I had a great professor, Charles Kessler, on Life, Liberty, and Levin a couple weeks back. And he pointed out this is the only republic unlike Rome, unlike Athens and the others, the only republic at that time to adopt a declaration or to adopt principles like this. Because republics like Rome had slavery. Republics like Athens had slavery. These men came together and chiseled language into our monuments. about unalienable rights, natural rights. They didn't say for white men. They said for all human beings. It is a disgrace to watch these debates and to see our nation diminished, our history diminished, our liberty diminished, our institutions and customs diminished. I guess I'm getting old. I remember when our country used to be celebrated. I remember when people running for president would talk up our country, would talk up our founders, would talk up our system as the greatest on the face of the earth. I heard none of that in the last two nights of the Democrat Party debate. Instead, I heard a case for Ameritopia. For tyranny, for centralized government autocracy. And I not only heard it from the candidates who would be the nominee of the Democrat Party for president, a party that through much of its history has brought horrific strife and pain and dislocation and divisiveness to this nation, but I heard it from the moderators. From the moderators, who are supposed to have as their role in this republic, the search for objective truth. Is that the way it sounded to you last night, ladies and gentlemen? Did the CNN moderators sound to you like they were seeking objective truth? Calling the President of the United States a racist? Telling us about the existential threat of climate change? 
Which brings us to unfreedom of the press. There is no distance between the modern mass media and the modern Democrat Party. There are occasional fan dances. But there's no fundamental distinction between the two. As I wrote in Unfreedom of the Press, and as I've said behind this microphone, and now the backbenchers have finally picked up on it, the media is not a bit player here. The media are leading the charge. The progressives have succeeded in devouring the institution of freedom of the press. If we had true freedom of the press, the kinds of questions, that is, statements with question marks behind them, would have been far more serious and informative than what we've been getting from CNN. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every human being has a common problem. How do I live well? Our happiness and well-being depends on how we answer that question. Hillsdale College President Larry Arn argues that the best book ever written on this subject is Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And a new free online course from Hillsdale College shares Aristotle's teachings that will help you lead the most complete, happy life possible. Register for this free course, Introduction to Aristotle's Ethics, How to Lead a Good Life, featuring lessons from the greatest self-help book ever written at levinforhillsdale.com. In just 10 on-demand videos, each only 30 minutes long, you'll learn how to confront the chief obstacles to happiness and make the choices that build good character. Aristotle presents a guide for securing a virtuous life. And if you take this free course from Hillsdale and heed Aristotle's advice, your life will change for the better. You can learn how to lead a good life just as every Hillsdale College student does. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I'm the cleanup hitter. I got to do things my way. That's why you listen. That's why the show's successful. I could do what everybody else does. Wring my hands. Tell you about optics. Who was humorous. Who smiled. Who was on defense. That's not hard to do. But you saw that yourselves, right? So you don't need to hear that from me, do you? What's troubling to me is We don't get into substance during the debate. We don't tie things to the American founding, to our principles, to our institutions, what these people would do to them, because not a single person on that stage and not a single person asking questions give a damn about any of it. And unfortunately, the next day, today, most talk show hosts don't give a damn about it, and most people on TV don't give a damn about it. Hey, who won? Who lost? Like it's a damn baseball game. You know, that guy has a hell of a swing. That Kamala Harris, she really got beamed with a ball there. I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah. That, that, I mean, who cares? Hey, you know who the most Googled candidate is? No. And why do I care? It's important to talk about the republic and our principles and these other things because nobody else is going to if we don't. Nobody else is going to if we don't. They have all these proposals out there. 
Not a single one of them is constitutional. Oh, you might say, but the Supreme Court has ruled. I said, not a single one of them is constitutional. I don't give a damn how the Supreme Court's ruled over the last, what is it, 80 years or so. I follow the Constitution. Certainly when it comes to a discussion, and to be intellectually honest. I've always wondered, as I point out in Men in Black, I've always wondered, why is it that we are bound to a Supreme Court decision, come hell or high water, but we are not bound to the language in the Constitution of the United States? Why is that? How can that be? And yet that's where we are. Because the progressives a hundred years ago, particularly Woodrow Wilson, made the point that when change comes, it'll come from the courts. Why? Because it's easier to devour the courts if you're an activist. These are lifetime appointments. There's not a hell of a lot that can be done about it. Back on April 15th, I came up with this short statement, and I have it taped to my printer, and it faces me every day when I get behind this microphone and speak to you, my magnificent audience. And as I watch these debates, I think it rings truer and truer. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect thinker. But I think about things a lot. After the program, before the program, three in the morning, four in the morning, Sunday, Saturday, whatever it is. And it's this statement. The diabolical genius of Marxism-Socialism. And I say this in the context of these debates. Is that it provides the emotional and intellectual roadmap for autocrats to persuade millions of people to support their own enslavement to government. That is, the diabolical genius of Marxism-Socialism is that it provides the emotional and intellectual roadmap for autocrats to persuade millions of people to support their own enslavement to government. And you heard over and over and over again exactly this last night. What did you learn from the debate last night? Well, at the surface level, you learned nothing. But if you're thinking, you've learned that we're in deep, deep, deep trouble. Because we have one party in this country that has utterly rejected the whole purpose of the nation. And unfortunately, we have another party, the Republican Party, that doesn't even realize what the hell's going on. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Our president will be in a rally in Ohio shortly, we'll be dipping in and out of it live, so don't leave our program. 
And as I just posted on my social sites, the media, all the newsrooms are poised, ladies and gentlemen, in advance of the rally. They're poised. They have their headline ready that the rally was racist, that the rally was divisive, that it reminded some commentators of the Third Reich and Nuremberg. I'm just guessing. I think they already have their their headlines written and the first paragraph written, and they're going to fill in the blanks. So this will be turned against the president to create yet another controversy. Controversy, pseudo-events. Those of you who have unfreedom of the press, check out the chapter. Just another pseudo-event. I'm telling you, that's where the media are poised right now. By the way, have you ever heard of Caesar Rodney? Caesar Rodney. How about William Packer? Ever hear him? Lyman Hall? How about Joseph Hughes? Carter Braxton? John Hart? Oliver Walcott? Ever hear of John Morton? William Whipple, Matthew Thornton. Ladies and gentlemen, those are among the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Unsung heroes. Unsung heroes. We just do not teach our magnificent history to our young people anymore. There's another list I want to show you. There was a vote today in the United States Senate, much like the vote in the United States House of Representatives a few days ago, in which all serious limits on government borrowing and spending were blown up in a bipartisan way by Democrats and Republicans. And this is a bill that will go to the president's desk, and he said he's going to sign it, was negotiated by Mnuchin over there at Treasury. He's a liberal Democrat. And Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, who is a huge spending Republican. Because fiscal responsibility is no longer an objective of the Republican Party. It just is not. And we're now going to have over $1 trillion in annual deficits every year as far as the eye can see. I don't know how a society can withstand that over a period of time. And that's before we get to the Democrat agenda. God forbid if they win and they win the House and the Senate. But I want to read to you the United States Republican senators, <coughs> excuse me, who voted for this. Alexander of Tennessee. Barrasso of Wyoming. Blackburn, uh, excuse me, Alexander, I made a mistake. Alexander of Tennessee, yes. Barrasso of Wyoming, not Blackburn. Blunt of Missouri, <coughs> excuse me. Boozman of Arkansas. Burr of North Carolina, guess he woke up for that. Who else do we have? We have Collins of Maine. Cornyn of Texas. 
Kramer of North Dakota. Crapo of Idaho. None of these men can ever again say that they're fiscal conservatives. Or women. Ernst of Iowa. Voted for it. Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Voted for it. Grassley of Iowa. Voted for it. Hoven of North Dakota. Voted for it. Hyde Smith of Mississippi. Voted for it. Inhofe of Oklahoma. Voted for it. I'm looking. McSally of Arizona. Complete disaster. I'm afraid she's going to lose the general too. She voted for it. Moran of Kansas. Voted for it. Murkowski of Alaska. Voted for it. Purdue of Georgia. Voted for it. Portman of Ohio. Voted for it. Roberts of Kansas. Voted for it. Rounds of South Dakota. Voted for it. I'm looking. Shelby of Alabama. Voted for it. Sullivan of Alaska. Voted for it. Thune, useless, of South Dakota. Voted for it. Tillis, who's up for re-election, voted no. Just letting you know. Wicker of Mississippi voted for it. This is amazing. The two Republicans out of Mississippi voted for this massive debt package. Young of Indiana voted for it. All the other Republicans voted against it. 22 Republicans voted against it. It's quite shocking. That more than half the Republicans in the United States Senate voted for this disaster. They're going to send it to the president. And it is a disaster. The spending is massive. The caps have been blown off. There are no caps anymore. They haven't worked out the specific spending bills. But these are the overall spending plans for the next two years. With a Republican president and a Republican Senate. The burden on your children is growing insurmountable. I hear McConnell and the others go on and on about we cannot, you know, we cannot violate our credit. And they give you the impression that the country will go into default. I don't know how many more times I have to expose these lies, but they are lies. But what's not a lie is these things do catch up with a society. They caught up with Germany after World War I in the Weimar Republic. They've caught up with lots of societies that conduct themselves as third world countries like we do when it comes to spending and borrowing and taxing. No really serious, persistent questions about this to the Democrats. And when you bring it up to the Democrats, they say those are Republican talking points. Well, the funny thing is they're not Republican talking points because the Republicans don't talk about it either. We have no real leadership in the United States Senate. Every single one of the in the Republican leadership in the Senate, McConnell, Cornyn, Blunt, Thune, all voted for it. All of them. 
All the Republican leadership in the House voted for it. All of them. McCarthy, Scalise, Cheney, and others. And they'll tell you over and over again, well, we have to, def- we have to fund the defense budget. Isn't it about time that you made the case for defense and made the case against this profligate, massive, domestic leviathan that's going to drag this country down? The American people are smart. If you don't make the case day in and day out, the case isn't going to be made. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Outside the, uh, the debate hall in Detroit, people were asked what Joe Biden's accomplishments were. I mean, he's been in the Senate for 412 years before he was vice president of the United States. That's all he's ever done in his life. And a uh, hat tip to campus reform. Cut three, go. What do you view as Joe Biden's singular like accomplishment you would point to? I, I don't know of a specific accomplishment of his. I know that there are things that, you know, he can put his name on and say, well, this was done when I was in office. This was done when I was in office. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm drawing a blank on, on what, what, what he accomplished. I do know that he's fought for poor Americans. Are there any accomplishments that come to mind that you can point to for Joe Biden? No. Anything? No. I don't know. What would you view as Joe Biden's main accomplishment? His accomplishments has been um, the health care program. He was, you know, very instrumental with that. In your mind, what is Joe Biden's main accomplishment you would point to? I'm... You know, I, 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 I don't know if I have an answer for that. Tangibly, though, if a, if a person who was undecided were to ask you what's the, the main thing you can point to as, as Joe Biden's singular accomplishment, what would you point them to? Well, I think his, uh, you know, years of service, uh, but more and more recently, I think he served with very much distinction with, uh, with Obama. And what would you say you view uh, Joe Biden's main accomplishment as having been in his career? I think he's an honest and a decent man, and that to me speaks volumes. Um, I mean, he was a segregationist, so, but no, I'll say 
him and him Obama passed some bills for for vets uh, that I like. Um, being vice president, I mean, he's he's been there a long time. He's got staying power. Well, I think his greatest accomplishment was uh, being the vice president for Obama. His background. I don't know. I mean, I really wasn't prepared for that question, clearly. <laughs> I see Joe Biden. He, at the best, he's a flip-flopper because it's like, what what is my best interest right now to act like I want to do this, act like I want to do that, but he uh, flip right back the next day. Well, that's quite clear. Um, it's kind of scary that that vote, those votes, what are six or ten of those there, will neutralize six or ten of us. Now, the media are very upset that their their hero, Barack Melhouse Benito Obama, was criticized last night. Furious. And nobody more furious than low IQ, the morning schmo. He was just furious. And so was his sidekick, Ed McMahon Brzezinski. Cut eight, go. Get, get hammered and Mika, I, I'm hearing Mike Barnacle talking about protecting pre-existing conditions. I'm hearing Mike Barnacle talking about uh, letting your kids stay on your health care insurance till 25 or 26 because some may not have a job yeah. and you want to protect them. I, I'm hearing about expanding health care coverage for millions and millions of Americans under Obamacare. And you know what I'm thinking? Mm. I'm thinking it's sad that Mike Barnacle is leading our show off with a lot of Republican talking. No, it's not Republican talking points. (laughs) The Republican talking points supporting Barack Obama, it it makes me sad. By the way, why does his voice keep going up? Is underwear getting tight? What's going on there? Doesn't he watch these testosterone commercials? Go ahead. Give me a break. What's wrong with you people? I don't understand. You're going up against Donald Trump and you're talking about defending Obamacare as Republican talking points? Who is advising you? Now, that genius, of course, um, he was a couple terms in the House. Beyond that, his great accomplishment is sitting where he is with no audience. Sitting where he is with no audience. But this, this is typical. They're absolutely furious about this. Now, there's a lady here uh, who served in the military, and I want to thank her for that, uh, Tulsi Gabbard. And she did a great job of destroying Kamala Harris. But she's a nut. And unfortunately, from time to time, she appears on my favorite cable channel. She's sort of the, uh, well, she's, she is a nut. And she accused Trump of supporting Al-Qaeda. That would be Trump who's been wiping out ISIS. Which includes Al-Qaeda. And then today she defended herself on MSNBC. She defended the point. But a lot of the code pink Republicans embrace her. Rand Paul, among others. Even though she cozied up with the genocidal mass murdering dictator in Syria. She met with him. Why would you meet with him? If you're Nancy Pelosi, you met with his father. Cut to go. You made a claim last night, Congresswoman, that you believe the president is a supporter of al-Qaeda. You didn't have an opportunity to back up that claim uh, with evidence. I'm going to give you that opportunity now. 
Yeah, I appreciate it. There's two major areas here. One is this president has chosen to double down and triple down on an alliance with Saudi Arabia, a country that... Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had an alliance, like it or not, with Saudi Arabia for decades. For many decades, through Republican and Democrat presidents. Not because we like the regime, but take a look on the map. Take a look on the map. Much like during World War II, we had an alliance with Russia. That is, the Soviet Union under Stalin. Go ahead. Number one propagator of the uh, radical wasabi, uh, uh, Wahhabi Salafist ideology that fuels terrorist groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, uh, a country that both directly and indirectly supports... So that means the president supports Al-Qaeda? I mean, how stupid is this? Go ahead. Qaeda and countries like Yemen and Syria. Uh, and secondly, this president is... Uh, Actually, it's Iran that's taking out Yemen and Syria, not Saudi Arabia. Let's get our throwback straight. Go ahead. Support for al-Qaeda and continuing this regime change war in Syria, even threatening... So, so by regime change war in Syria, is the president supporting regime change in Syria? Only the crackpots on the left and the code pink Republican crackpots spew this kind of propaganda. President isn't sinking regime change in Syria. Go ahead. ...military uh, to respond to anyone who tries to attack al-Qaeda in the city of Idlib in Syria where they are in control of and have their stronghold. This is deeply concerning. Uh, you're a crackpot. I knew you were a crackpot. You have no evidence whatsoever. How could you possibly have evidence that the president supports al-Qaeda? Don't be taken in by this Tulsi Gabbard, as some of you have been taken in by the Code Pink Republicans. You know, we've been in these wars long enough. I hate to tell you this. These wars against terrorism are going to go on forever. I hate to tell you this. Not by our choice, by the enemy's choice. Iran's not going away. These throwbacks aren't going away. Guess what else? I hate to tell you this. China's not going away. China's on the ascendancy. China's not going away. I'm sorry. They're not. They're enemies all over the world. You want to prevent a massive war... You try to deal with these things as best you can before there's a massive war, before they're more powerful than we are. China's getting to that point. But don't call the president a support of al-Qaeda, you nut job. I mean, this woman should be banned from TV. I don't mean by the government. I believe in the First Amendment. But any rational host, why would you bring her on? President supports al-Qaeda? Why, because he doesn't agree with your... Your weird foreign policy analysis? I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is 
made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Says it better than Mark Levin. I'll go with what Mark Levin said because nobody could say it better. Call in now at 877-381-3811. We'll be going to the president live soon uh, when he begins his speech, and we'll go in and out of the speech. You know, demand letters from the IRS are hitting the mail. If you owe back taxes, you may be receiving one soon. When it arrives, you'll have questions like, Is it true the IRS can garnish my paycheck? Can the IRS really take my home and bank accounts? And can they get my retirement savings? Yes, the IRS can do all that and a hell of a lot more. But there is a way out. It's called the Fresh Start Initiative, an official government program for tax debt assistance. Nobody knows more about the Fresh Start Initiative than the award-winning experts at Optima Tax Relief. Now, Optima's mission is to stand between you and the IRS, fighting to help protect your paycheck and assets, and helping you get the best deal possible. But don't delay, because the IRS can tackle on hefty penalties and interest every day. Call Optima now for your free consultation while you still have options. Call 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Those of you on the phones... Stay put. We're going to try and get to you during the course of the program. We're going to try and hit a few other issues. But right now, we're going to go live to the President of the United States. The so-called debate last night. And I also watched the night before. That was long, long television. And the Democrats spent more time attacking Barack Obama than they did attacking me, practically. And this morning, that's all the fake news was talking about. That wasn't pretty. No, we're doing good. It's great to be back in the state that I love. I love this state. Very special. Very, very special on the banks of the beautiful Ohio River with the hardworking patriots of the American heartland. Thank you, Ohio. We love you, Ohio. So we've got thousands of people standing outside. And I asked the officials, can we sneak some up along the aisles? Can they sit on the stairs? But I'll tell you what, this is some crowd, some turnout. We've sold tens of thousands of tickets. And you know what the sale price is? We keep it nice and low. We keep it nice and low. But there never has been a movement like this. This is a movement the likes of which they've never seen before, maybe anywhere, but certainly in this country. 
They've never seen anything like this before. You came from the mountains and the valleys and the rivers, and you came for, I mean, look, from wherever you came from. There were a lot of you. And they showed up on Election Day. I'll never forget a wonderful congressman from Tennessee. They have early voting. And one of the earliest places, great state Tennessee. And he said, he was in Pennsylvania with me, great state. And he said, you know, sir, I've been doing this for a long time, but I've never seen people like this show up for early voting. People that haven't voted in a long time because they didn't see anybody they wanted to vote for said, I've never seen it. They have Trump banners and Trump hats and Trump buttons. So I've never seen And this great congressman said, I don't know, sir, but I can tell you one thing. If the rest of the country is voting like Tennessee is voting, you're going to win by a lot. And we won, and we won by a lot. Our nation is stronger today than ever before. We have the number one economy on Earth. No economy is so strong. We're rebuilding the awesome might of the United States military, and soon it will be stronger, relatively speaking, than at any time in our history. And when we took over, it was depleted. We took over a depleted military. It's not depleted anymore, I can tell you that. Our spirit is strong, our stride is back, and our stand is clear. We are finally putting America first. It's about time. President Trump in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've created six million new jobs since Election Day. Nobody would have thought that was possible. More than seven million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps. And they're happy. They're happy. 123,000 more Ohio workers are employed today than when I was elected. Think of that number. And right now, Ohio is the most successful it's ever been in the history of our country. Thank you. Congratulations, Ohio. Stand up, Mike. And you have a good governor, I want to tell you that. Good job, Mike. Unemployment has reached the lowest rate in over half a century, and unemployment 
for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, and Asian Americans have all reached the lowest rates ever recorded. That wasn't discussed at the debate last night. While Republicans are working every day to build up our country, the rage-filled Democrat Party is trying to tear America apart. The Democrat Party is now being led by four left-wing extremists who reject everything that we hold dear. Amen. No one has paid a higher price for the far left's destructive agenda than Americans living in our nation's inner cities. They have paid a dear price. You see what's happening? You see our inner cities. We spend billions and billions and billions for years and years and years, and it's stolen money, and it's wasted money, and it's a shame. For decades, these communities have been run exclusively by Democrat politicians, and it's been total one-party control of the inner cities. For a hundred years, it's been one-party control, and look at them. We can name one after another, but I won't do that. Because I don't want to be controversial. (laughs) We want no controversy. The Democrat record is one of neglect and corruption and decay, total decay. The Democrats have taxed and regulated jobs and opportunity out of these cities and out of existence. They've squeezed the blood out of them. Left-wing mayors and city councils have opposed school choice, trapping children and failing in government schools left and right. There you go, Mr. Producer. So they do listen to the show. Right this now. is a big issue. You know where go they ahead. Are? They're in jail. That's where they are. <laughs> Republicans believe that every parent has the right to send their children to the school of their choice. I'm so thrilled they're pushing this issue. But the greatest betrayal committed by the Democrats is their support for open borders. And these open borders would overwhelm schools and hospitals, drain public services, and flood communities with poisonous drugs. It's tough enough. And I want to thank, by the way, the country of Mexico. They've got 21,000 soldiers on the border right now. I'm starting to like Mexico a lot. They do a lot more for us than the Democrats do, right? (laughs) A lot more. more. And the numbers are way down. You'll see that. Way, way down. Democrat lawmakers care more about illegal aliens 
Then they care about their own constituents. They put foreign citizens before American citizens. We're not going to do that. 572 people were murdered in Chicago last year. There's a uh, misgrant that the, apparently is being dealt with by security. I don't believe he's a member of the media. Who knows? You know, it's a very peaceful crowd. You know, it wouldn't be like, uh, say, a Democrat event with Antifa. President's looking, thinking. Taking a relatively long time to uh, to remove the individuals. Democrat mayor. Democrat mayor. Democrat. De- Democrat mayor. You must have a Democrat mayor. Do you have a Democrat mayor? Come on, law enforcement. Yeah. Democrat mayor. I guess it's the Democrat mayor, I guess. You can't see it on TV, folks. They're not showing the crowd right now. I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Now it's summer, time to check out for a while, I suppose. 
But it's also a time when Congress knows you aren't paying attention like this massive deficit bill they just passed. I got word that Senate Democrat and left-wing kook, Oregon's Ron Wyden, the ranking member on the Senate Finance Committee, is pushing a bill that would mess with the market-based Medicare Part D prescription drug program. The bill creates so-called inflationary caps on drug prices. It doesn't do a thing to help save you money at the pharmacy counter. It's a gimmick. If the gap is triggered, a new tax is imposed. Who do you think pays that? You do. It's effectively putting a price control on the medicines that you need. The Part D program has been successful for almost 15 years thanks to its competitive structure. But Senator Wyden and other Democrats are now pushing to make this a full-blown government entitlement program. And even Republican Senator Chuck Grassley is considering supporting it. Senate Republicans need to oppose this. Why would Grassley, a so-called free market defender, now want to adopt a socialist proposal that the Democrats like? might be summertime, but Grassley and Wyden might want to remember that during election time, we vote. Seniors vote, too. Get the facts. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. 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 Back to the president. Talking about, oh, the voters, the voters, the voters. They want all sorts of security. What about a thing called voter ID, voter identification? Rob Portman, please work on that, Rob Portman. You have a great senator. Would you please start working on that? You see the response. Every place I go, Rob. Please, Rob. Voter ID. They give you everything they can give you except, like, voter ID and the things that matter. Republicans believe that a nation must care for its own citizens first. Our pledge to America's workers has secured commitments to train more than 12 million Americans for the jobs of tomorrow. You know who's working very hard on that? You probably never heard of her. Ivanka Trump. She's working very hard. She gave up a lot. She had a very easy life. But she loves doing it. She's got over, I think, now 12 million people. They're teaching them, the great companies of our country, they're teaching people how to do it. And it's an incredible thing to watch. To give former prisoners a second chance at life, we passed groundbreaking criminal justice reform that nobody could have passed except us. President Obama tried. A lot of them tried. They couldn't get it passed. I got it passed with a lot of help from liberals and conservatives and a lot of help. And the biggest beneficiary is the African-American community. Biggest beneficiary. But President in Cincinnati, Ohio. (laughs) 
And something which a lot of people don't talk about, but we doubled the child tax credit. Doubled it. And our tax plan also created nearly 9,000 opportunity zones, hottest thing going, providing massive new incentives for investment. And All right, job folks, creation. we have a full hour back. We'll be dipping in and out of the uh, president's speech. We have a few other things I want to address, like now the smear job on Ronald Reagan, where a professor writing at The Atlantic has spent an enormous amount of time trying to dig up stuff on Reagan, and he found an audio. Found an audio. I'm sure they'll be working this hard on the Democrats next. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Before we get back to the president... I want to address another president, Ronald Reagan, who I worked for and admire enormously. There was an article in The Atlantic, which is a left-wing site, uh, by New York University professor Tim Naftali, who's also left-wing. And he reports on an audio that was secretly taped when Richard Nixon was president between Nixon and Reagan, October 1971. And he lays out a case. It's a rather long article. And the president, or would-be president, Ronald Reagan, makes a statement that I can't embrace. He writes, The day after the United Nations voted to recognize the People's Republic of China, and Reagan was furious because they also voted to withdraw Taiwan from the U.N., Then California Governor Ronald Reagan phoned President Nixon in the White House and vented his frustration. Last night, I tell you to watch that thing on television as I did. Uh, Let's see. Reagan said, yeah. Nixon interjected. Reagan forged ahead with his complaint to see those those monkeys from those African countries. Damn them. They're still uncomfortable wearing shoes. And Nixon gave a huge laugh. Now, you can't defend a statement like that. But that's not the point. The point is, why did this professor dig so hard and so long to find a statement from Reagan, who is not a racist? As one statement of that sort does not make a racist. It is an appalling statement. They give a pass to Robert Byrd. They give a pass to the entire Democrat Party and its involvement in slavery. They're proud Democrats. They give a pass to Margaret Sanger, as my friend Professor uh, Ken Gore points out in The American Spectator. And I'm not saying Reagan deserves a pass. I'm saying this is an attempt to destroy his legacy. Because when you look at the entirety of his legacy, you can't find anything of the sort where he discriminated against any minority. 
In fact, I remember him signing the Voting Rights Act for a 25-year extension. We'd never seen that before. And signing the uh, Martin Luther King birthday into law as a national holiday, among many other things, I might add. And when you have individuals like Lyndon Johnson, who had an entire career of racism, but he became president, a darling of the civil rights movement, and the great society, so they give him a pass, with some of the things Harry Truman said, and of course Woodrow Wilson, even Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton and his ties with Orpah Faubus, a flat-out segregationist racist. It is strange to me that this left-wing professor, Naftali, would focus so intently and intensely on Reagan, digging, 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 as he did. Digging as he did. And, of course, Reagan's fury at what happened to Taiwan and rewarding communist China, which had killed tens of millions, certainly by 1971, is apparently what infuriated him. But Reagan was no racist. You can look at his actions over the years as head of the uh, Screen Actor Guild. You can look at his actions as governor. You can look at his actions as president of the United States and in his private life. And the people who know him best, who've written these biographies, Professor Ken Gore, Craig Shirley, reporters who knew him best would tell you exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. He was a very tolerant man. And I'm deeply troubled by an effort like this. Look at this. We found history. (coughs) You found an audio of two sentences that does not reflect the heart, soul, or life of Ronald Reagan. Period. You know, Reagan had a relationship with Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali, I'll tell you a little story as a footnote, ladies and gentlemen. From time to time, he would call the Department of Justice when I was chief of staff under Attorney General Meese. He was a a faithful Muslim. Not a jihadist, obviously, a Muslim. And he was extremely supportive of the Attorney General's effort to root out child pornography. And the Attorney General was mocked for this from the media on the left. He had a pornography commission. It was really an anti-pornography commission, and much of its focus was on child pornography. Not exclusively, but much of it. And he was mocked for this. Muhammad Ali, the few times I spoke to him, what he would call was extremely supportive of this, of this effort. And as Professor Ken Gore points out, he had a relationship with Metal Ark Lemon, he had a relationship with Rosie Greer, many. Sammy Davis Jr. And I could go on. But this professor really didn't really provide any any solid context in his story, in his writings, and they didn't want any. Reagan would say, as Professor Ken Gore points out, 
This is a sin and evil in the world, as we're enjoined by Scripture and the Lord Jesus to oppose it with all our might. He meant racism and anti-Semitism. That applied, he said, to our nation, which had a legacy of evil with which it must deal. There's no room for racism, anti-Semitism, or other forms of ethnic and racial hatred in this country. And he believed this. And he believed it very much. Now this Atlantic piece will be cited for the rest of time, claiming that there's evidence of Reagan's racism. It's evidence of no such thing. No such thing. Now, Reagan wasn't Nixon, and Nixon wasn't Reagan, but in some of these audio tapes in the past, there have been things that Nixon said about Israel and Jews, which can clearly be considered anti-Semitic, and yet, when it came to supporting Israel, when it came to supporting Israel, when Israel needed support during the Yom Kippur War, Nixon gave them everything they needed, and he directed Kissinger from Germany, from anywhere our bases are, get them the equipment they need 24-7 to defend themselves, and that's exactly what happened. There's a tape of Barack Obama that still to this day remains secreted. I believe it was a tape where he was with this Professor Khalidi, who's now with Columbia, and who is a mouthpiece, in my humble opinion, directly or indirectly, for Hamas. It is a tape they will not turn over. It is a tape they will not make free. And why is that? And we have to sit here every day and listen to Omar and Talib and AOC, among others, who today, not 1971, time and time and time again make statements that are absolutely outrageous and support actions that are absolutely outrageous. But that does not draw the attention of this professor and barely of the Atlantic. Truman, it's like digging into Truman trying to find anti-Semitic statements he made, even though he immediately recognized Israel as the new nation against the advice of many of his cabinet members. And then there's Franklin Roosevelt, who made many anti-Semitic statements. Then, of course, there's the New York Times that helped cover up the Holocaust. No politician is perfect. I've told you this over and over again. I believe that. But some are better than others. Some are still great. So the New York professor, Tim Naftali, wasn't that he was trying to reveal the true background, nature, and actions of Reagan. He was looking, and he found a nugget. And I want to congratulate the professor. You found your nugget. Now go get that Obama tape. Go focus on the 
the three stooges of anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party. Let's see what you come up with. There's a lot out there to search, Mr. Professor. Why is it that I don't think you'll look into any of that? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Back to the president in Cincinnati, Ohio, live. Thanks to steel tariffs, hundreds of thousands of tons, think of this, were dumped on our shores. And steel is like something else. It's not quality. They were dumping garbage. They call it sand steel. They call it dirt steel. It was mixed up. It was bad stuff. And we didn't want to use that for our jet fighters and for our beams that hold up building. But they were dumping tremendous quantities of steel. And what was happening is United States Steel and all of our companies were going virtually out of business, and I stopped it. I put on a 25 percent tariff. Billions of dollars is now pouring into our Treasury, and our steel companies and our steel workers are coming back. Right here in Ohio, Nucor, a great steel company, and a steel company that's doing great again, Nucor, has announced an $85 million upgrade in Marion. Charter Steel announced plans to build a new $150 million steel mill in Cuyahoga Heights, and Cleveland Cliffs announced a new $700 million plant in a very good place that I like a lot, Toledo, Toledo, Ohio. And this was unthinkable because four years ago, steel plants were closing. They weren't expanding and they weren't building. We're building new plants in Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, all over, not just Ohio. On issue after issue, Democrats have forgotten who it is that they're supposed to represent. They forgot. I wonder why they forgot. The job of elected officials is to represent American citizens. The radical Democrats even support deadly sanctuary cities which release dangerous criminals onto our streets. Sanctuary cities. And many of the places that have sanctuary cities and many of the people that live there, they don't want them. They don't want them. They're dangerous. They're not good. Here are just a few examples. In San Francisco, an illegal alien was arrested no fewer than 10 times in the span of less than one year for numerous counts of burglary and theft. Yet each time, San Francisco defied federal authorities and set him free. And bad things happened when they set him free. 
a sanctuary jurisdiction in California recently released a criminal alien from jail. The very next month, the same individual was arrested for rape. And then beyond anything you would even believe, a horrible thing happened. But yet again, he was released back into your community. After a sanctuary city in New Jersey released an alien charged with domestic violence, he was arrested in Missouri for the murders of three people. In the bizarre worldview of the third and hard left, they have no problem destroying the lives of innocent Americans for a single politically incorrect thought. But they want to virtually, and you know this, you know this, they want virtual immunity for illegal aliens who have committed horrible crimes and murder. Horrible crimes and murder. Republicans believe our cities should be a sanctuary for law-abiding Americans, not criminal aliens. And yes, we just won a big lawsuit last week. In fact, one of my lawyers for winning that lawsuit is here tonight. I gave him a little reprieve. We need a lot of lawyers in the White House. We get sued so much, so unfairly. But we're winning those lawsuits left and right. But one of them is here. He said, I'd love to go to a rally. I said, I'm going to a place called Cincinnati, Ohio. You deserve it. We just won the lawsuit on the wall. Where's Pat? We just won the lawsuit on the wall. You hear that? And we're building the wall faster and better than ever. It's time for Democrats to end sanctuary cities and catch and release. You know what you do? You catch them and then you release them. And you say, would you please report back in four years from now? But only 2% come back. You know why? Because they're not the smartest. They are not the smartest. They're the ones we don't want to have come back. Only 2% show up, catch and release. We could end it immediately if the Democrats gave. So what we're doing is something else. We're keeping them out altogether. We're replacing random migration, and we're replacing the lottery system. How about the lottery system? How about lotteries? This when we come back, folks, the Chinese government is involved in subverting the President Trump's re-election. The man who has broken this story over at the Free Beacon is Bill Gertz. This is not something that can wait. So please join us. We'll be right back. On the straight and narrow path, you have a guide. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. You know, folks, China's on the move, Iran's on the move, Russia's on the move. Government spending continues to ride. 
Legal immigrants are walking across our southern border by the thousands. Yet none of this is being talked about in a substantive way. All this last week was about Trump. Must be a racist, a racist, a racist, a racist. Nothing of substance. Only pontificating by Democratic mouthpieces in the, in the media about pseudo-events. Now, you loyal Levinites know this already because you obviously listen to my radio show. You all care about what's really going on. You care about the actual threats facing our great republic. You don't get caught up in propaganda being spewed by the Praetorian Guard media. You want pure, unadulterated facts, knowledge. The great news is that the place already exists. It's called Levin TV, where you'll get commentary of mine that you won't get anywhere else because we're unlike anywhere else. We are only beholden to you, you Levinites, patriots, all those who love this country. Join me as I take on these phony issues on the left. And, of course, we spend time on deep issues, too. And we'll catch up on all the past episodes, if you'd like to, by going to levintv.com and sign up today. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, TV.com. And enter promo code Levin, and you'll get $10 off your annual subscription. $10 off your annual subscription. That's LevinTV.com, L-E-V-I-N-T-V.com, promo code Levin for $10 off your annual subscription. We have a truly serious journalist, an investigative journalist of decades. His name is Bill Gertz. He's writing now for, among other places, The Free Beacon. Bill, how are you, sir? Hi, Mark. Great to be on the show. It's a pleasure. Now, you wrote a piece that drew my attention, China covertly subverting Trump re-election. I haven't heard any committee hearings on this. I haven't heard any concern about the big lib media about this. Tell the American people what's taking place here. Yeah, this is an important story. Um, we've, been, we've seen almost near hysteria from the media on Russia. Uh, election meddling uh, for the past two and a half years, but uh, the real threat is from China. Um, I interviewed a dissident billionaire, Guo Wenghui, in New York. He used to be close to the leaders there, and he has new information that I disclosed on how this uh, four-pronged campaign by China to unseat Trump in the 2020, uh, his 2020 re-election bid. Uh, and basically, those four elements include uh, Wall Street bankers like Hank Paulson uh, to lobby uh, in favor of the Democrats and against Trump. Uh, also, uh, other politicians, uh, former officials and so forth, lobbyists in Washington are being mobilized as part of this campaign. And the U.S. news media, which, according to Guo, is controlled. And I said, you mean influence? And he said, no, he believes that the media is controlled through various means, whether it's investments in China, whether it's protecting bureaus or fear of having uh, reporters kicked out of China that are actually doing the bidding against Trump. Of course, they don't need much uh, spurring to get uh, the anti-Trump uh, narrative that they've been spewing for so long. And then last is uh, Asian Americans. He, he said that the Chinese are going to mobilize Asian Americans uh, to try to uh, defeat uh, Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Now, since you've reported this in a very public place called the Washington Free Beacon, where many, many people go, uh, have you been contacted by members of Congress? Do they want your information? Do they want any hearings? Are they concerned about Chinese interference in our election? Uh, I have not heard anything, although I just got back from uh, Omaha where I was at the uh, U.S. Strategic Command uh, Deterrence Conference. But uh, 
<clears throat> I will be doing some follow-up, and I will seek some uh, congressional reaction. Hopefully, Congress will do its oversight job and really focus on the need uh, to counter Chinese uh, election influence uh, in the coming uh, election cycle. But let's be clear about this. They want Trump to lose. Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, Trump made the first point in September at the U.N., about the Chinese election meddling. And then uh, Vice President Pence in October gave a detailed speech in which he said uh, the bottom line is the Chinese want a different president than Trump. They're basically trying to wait him out. I think the recent trade negotiations uh, are, are an indication there that uh, they're just playing games with our, our negotiators over there. And militarily, China is a dire threat, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I was at Stratcom. The deputy commander, uh, Admiral Creedy, three-star, said that they're doing a aggressive buildup of nuclear forces, and it's couched in secrecy. And they ha- they claim to have a no first use policy. And uh, Admiral Creedy, when I asked him about it, he says, "I don't know what this this no first use policy. I've read it. Chinese have not enunciated anything about it." So. Uh, it was a pretty tough uh, briefing for reporters that he d- detailed this. And then another, uh, J2, the intelligence director for Stratcom, described the uh, nuclear buildup by China as basically breathtaking in its scope. And, of course, uh, you know, they've got like 3,000 miles of underground tunnels where they're keeping their uh, warheads and producing them. And the U.S. intelligence community doesn't even know how many warheads they have. They think it's around 200. It could be as many as 1,500. You know, Bill Gertz, I talk to a lot of experts on China, military and otherwise. They tell me if it came to a face-off with China now, it's not clear that we could win because of their advances in anti-satellite technology that would knock out our GPS systems and uh, and other advances, and we lag behind as a result of the Obama administration. We're trying to catch up with that. They they have really a significant armed forces. Is that correct? Yes, they do. Um, it is the major threat. Well, Russia is a threat as well. Clearly, uh, the China threat to me is is the most serious threat facing the country. And the problem is that we have all of this economic integration with China. And as a result of that, uh, it's being used as leverage to prevent the United States and the government from dealing with this threat. That's the biggest problem. You have factions within the government uh, that are saying, oh, no, we just have to trade with China, and that will produce a benign uh, China in the future. It's been a total failure for the last 35 years. You write here that China has reclaimed some 3,200 acres of islands, and last year was detected deploying anti-ship and anti-aircraft missiles on them, along with electronic warfare capabilities. They are making themselves, uh, they are a presence in virtually every corner of the earth, aren't they, at this point? Yes, and they're expanding. Uh, Their goal, and again, the intelligence community for the last 25 years has been saying, oh, China's not really a threat. I had a a DIA director tell me to my face 20 years ago that that China's not a threat, and I asked him why, and he said because of their statements. And I was astounded that uh, he had been disinformed by Chinese propaganda for, for so many years. So that's kind of been my quest now to try and highlight this China threat, but it is an existential threat. In fact, 
the chairman, uh, the nominee for the vice chairman, uh, General John Hyten, testified this week, and I, I did a Washington Times column on it uh, today. And basically, he said that we are we have major shortfalls of weapons and munitions that we need. So if the balloon ever went up and there was a conflict, say if uh, the Chinese tried to ram one of our ships in the South China Sea doing a freedom of navigation operations, that we don't have enough equipment. We have logistics shortfalls. We have uh, undersea warfare shortfalls. So there's a major push right now to try and build up uh, American forces in Asia so that we won't have to go to war with China. We can deter them uh, with peace through strength. And yet if this president loses, and one of the people I saw on the stage yesterday and the day before becomes president of the United States, they will put a f- strong foot on the brake of our uh, rebuilding our military, won't they? Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you can see that in the Democrats that are running uh, the House Armed Services Committee. They've already tried to cut uh, the, uh, the small nuclear warhead that the Pentagon says it needs to deter both Russia and China. Uh, and so it's uh, it's going to be a huge problem if the Democrats uh, uh, retake the administration. Uh. You know, you know, Bill Gertz, you and I have been around long enough, even during the Reagan administration, when he was pushing uh, the Strategic Defense Initiative, and they mocked him, called it Star Wars. They made it very, very difficult for him to fund it over the years. And yet it's exactly the kind of system now that we uh, – parts of Europe, the Israelis and others rely on to protect us from these intercontinental ballistic missiles and short-range missiles. Yes, and uh, for many, many years, our missile defenses were deliberately constrained so as to not be used if there was a uh, an attack from China or Russia, and I think that's changing. Uh, clearly, they, the Trump administration has stopped saying that we're not going to defend our country against uh, Russian or Chinese long-range missiles, so uh, they're looking at new ways of doing that. They're looking at asymmetric means, uh, perhaps space-based interceptors. Uh, they're talking about something called uh, left of launch, which would be like cyber attacks on missile control facilities so that when they press the button for launch, instead of launching, it'll blow up on the launch pad. So th- those are the kinds of things that are being looked at. And our advantage used to be technological. Uh, with these other countries, but now China has stolen its way into uh, not parity yet, but working on it. Yeah, right now the big race is uh, in two specific areas. Uh, one is uh, artificial intelligence, and the other is quantum uh, computing and communications. Those are two big areas. The U.S. Is, is pushing very hard to do that. Another area that the Chinese are, are ahead of us is in hypersonic missiles. Yeah, yeah. And, and what uh, are that? What are those? Tell the yeah, hypersonic missile is a missile that uh, goes about 7,000 miles per hour or faster. But the unique feature of it is it's capable of maneuvering, and therefore it can defeat any missile defense system. The Chinese are, are close to deploying their first hypersonic glide vehicle. I know the Pentagon's engaged in a crash program to try and match that. And uh, the Russians, too, are also developing a, uh, a hypersonic we're, we're behind a lot now, aren't we? We're trying to play catch-up. They steal our technology. They use our technology to advance their technology. It's really one administration, one eight-year administration can do something like this. Right, Bill Gertz? Extreme damage from the Obama administration. Um, basically, under Obama, the U.S. government was told in, in White House directives, no government agency shall say anything critical of China. 
So therefore, for eight years, we watched as the Chinese tried to take over the South China Sea. We saw them move into the East China Sea. We saw them moving into the Horn of Africa and uh, expanding their capabilities and stealing our technology. The White House estimates that as much as $600 billion annually in, in American technology has been stolen by China. I mean, no nation can survive with that level of uh, technology theft. Am I right that the Chinese also control both ends of the Panama Canal through contracts? Yes, there are uh, two commercial uh, shipping uh, companies. Uh, Hutchison Wampoa is a Hong Kong company, but the owner is very close uh, to Beijing uh, communist leaders. Um, they are setting up networks of these type of commercial port facilities. But in China, they have something that... Uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping has announced it's called civil military fusion. Therefore, everything in China that's military will be used for civilians, and everything that's civilian will be used for the military. So all of its outposts uh, around the world, and they're, they're doing more of them through this Belt and Road Initiative, a multi-trillion dollar uh, third world investment program, and they're setting up uh, commercial entities that will serve as military bases. It is hard to see how our country, with at least one party that that undermines our military and undermines this president who's really trying to confront China, um, how we don't fall behind. And we talk about the spirit of the American people. That's true. But our government, in many respects, is dysfunctional. Well, actually, the good news is there is some bipartisan consensus emerging on the China threat. Uh, some element, Some Democrats in Congress are actually beginning to say, hey, wait a minute, we can't, uh, we can't look the other way on... Uh, are any of them running for president? Uh, I doubt it very much. Although we saw Biden, uh, he basically dismissed the notion that the U.S. Uh, could even try to compete with China. And then he took a whole bunch of flack for it and then backed down and tried to say, oh, yes, yeah, we, we've got to stop China from stealing our technology. Yeah, right. Well, he was vice president for eight years and they didn't yeah. do a damn thing. Well, Bill, you're terrific. You're a national resource. And uh, when your new book comes out, you'll let me know. Yes. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. God bless. I'm trying to bring to you, ladies and gentlemen, through the various formats I have, individuals who are expert on this particular subject, because I consider it one of the gravest threats that we face externally. One of the gravest th threats we face internally is the leadership of the Democrat Party and the media. Because the media is not a free media, as I've said over and over and over again. We'll be right back. Lovin. The king of dark money, George Soros, has set up a new pack, ladies and gentlemen. He's already poured $5.1 million into it. He wants to buy our election. Notice the Democrats don't mind his dark money or the dark money of Tom Steyer, the dark money of all their billionaires, and they raise a hell of a lot more dark money. They call it dark money. This is money that goes into these super PACs. But Soros is on the move, just so you know. When you're preparing to travel abroad this summer, the one app that needs to be on your checklist is Express. VPN. ExpressVPN doesn't just encrypt your data while you surf the internet on 
public airport and hotel Wi-Fi. It even lets you stream and access content that normally would have been blocked in that country. With ExpressVPN, you can unblock all your favorite websites and have access to the Internet just like you would if you were at home. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone, and then you use the Internet just like you normally would. ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Don't travel anywhere this summer without downloading ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mark. That's express, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark to learn more. We've got a lot of exciting ideas we're working on here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm taking a look at the YouTube. Uh, Perhaps we'll put this radio show on YouTube, Mr. Producer. You know we could do that. Let's think about that. Expanding our podcast, expanding our other media platforms. Uh, I told you the uh, other night that there is, in fact, an entity out there that's trying to block me from doing the Fox show. The Fox people are terrific. And I will fill you in more on that as time goes on because they will not succeed. I view every one of these platforms as having a purpose to advance the cause of liberty and to be able to communicate with as many of you as possible. And while I'm on the subject, don't look now, but go to Amazon.com. Uh, their discount is going on, actually, longer than I would expect. Uh, it's 52% off on Freedom of the Press. 52% off. $13.44. So if you think ahead about birthdays and Christmas and Hanukkah and so forth, and you want to hand it out, I can guarantee you, back by then, it won't be 52% off. In fact, I don't think it'll be 52% off much longer because... That's not what Amazon does. And I want to strongly encourage you to get your voice out there. You saw what happened at the debates last night. You see what the media are doing. They're going to hammer Trump again tonight after this rally. I guarantee it. So the best way to engage is to inform as many people as we can and join our movement to get a real free press back in America. Amazon.com, 52% off. Can't beat that. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you law enforcement up and down the chain, and you, the American people. God bless each and every one of you as we stand together for our republic. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.